Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son sit down and talk about things in fantasy. I'm the son in that equation, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. Thanks for joining us today for our 40th episode. Is this really number 40? It is. It's number 40 already. Wow. They just keep piling up. And that doesn't count our couple of patron-only episodes that are already out there, too. So for us, it's like 44, 43, When I say couple, remember, I mean two. And we're going to get another one later soon. That's true. We are going to record another one soon. I'm I'm ready and waiting for our 50th. We, we got 10 more to go for that. We'll have to have like a party. I feel like 50th, I will probably have moved before that. I'm sure you will. Yeah. So we won't have any microphone issues because <laughs> we'll be in separate rooms. <laughs> all right. Well, Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. It's been a long week, but a good week. Longer for you than me. I mean, yes. So you went on vacation. I did. I just got back. So before I talk about my not vacation, how was your vacation? My vacation was very vacationable. Slept in, got up whenever I wanted. Uh, Your mother and I were out on the Oregon coast, sitting in a beachside cabin just with this beautiful Pacific Ocean to stare at. And I had all the time in the world to prepare for podcasting. (laughs) I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of note taking. And we even did some podcasting, but not for our own show. Yeah, and if you haven't already, go ahead and I'd say go check out Malkir Talks, where we hopped on and talked about Forsaken. I think I can say that without spoiler. Yes, I know Jordo is with us here in the Discord today, and he's listened to that episode already. But yeah, if you're you're not someone who's read all of Wheel of Time... Do not listen to that episode. <laughs> it's it's definitely spoilerific. Yeah, a little but bit. it was a lot of fun to talk with Rob about. It was a pet pet topic. Yeah, and so I was still here while doing that. I actually used your desk, your chair, your setup, and messed everything up. Okay, to be I'm, fair, I'm being exaggerative. I didn't touch most of it for when we recorded. It was later when I used the same space because my mic was already set up for D and D. Yeah, I could tell that he I was playing D and D because I came back. And I jumped into DT's game, Wheel of Time game server on Discord. Now, if you're not familiar with that, I'll drop a link in because that's a fun place you can go and play Wheel of Time trivia. Uh, they have a There's game. There's also general, just like yeah, general but they have Wheel of Time things, themed but... trivia about once a month. They also have just pub trivia once a month. Uh, different sorts of game things on there. When we did uh, Watchinary, mm-hmm. there's always a link from that server to Watchinary as well. Uh, just a fun place. Well, I got back from vacation, literally just in time to drop my stuff down, run into the office, and turn on Discord and get into the game. And I sit down in front of the computer and drop almost to the floor because he okay. lowered the chair it's all the way to the bottom. Like, that's on you. Because <laughs> and it, I keep it at the top. It was hilarious. It was not at the bottom. <laughs> it just was lower. I'd never lowered it. I had to figure out how do I raise the chair. Oh, yeah. It's not that hard. Um. <laughs> But no, I just, I had been on Zoom doing D&D, and so my camera angles, it was like going to be chopping my head off if yeah. I was up there, and so... And it was no problem. things around. I just didn't know he'd done it, other than, oh, my, my office has changed. It was funny. It was I, a funny moment. I told him when he got back, I opted to wash dishes instead of fix his office. Which was amazing. All the dishes were clean. Yes. But yeah, definitely check out DT's game server for Wheel of Time. I actually won. My team won this week for, for what trivia, and I've never managed to win before, so that was kind of cool. That's a first for everything. Yes, there is. 
What are you drinking today, Zach? I'm just drinking a beer. It's a Blue Moon. Relatively tasty, but just nice and cold for today. Now, what kind of Blue Moon? Well, it's just a, the standard normal Belgian white. It's not any of the funky, like, flavored but things. Blue Moon doesn't do any other varieties? Well, they do, like, flavored things, but this is, like, their standard normal. Okay. So you're just going to get a Belgian Moon. A, a Belgian Moon. A Blue, blue Moon. moon it it's will a Belgian White. Belgian ale. White. Wheat Ale. Um, It's got, like... That, that's... That's their beer. Orange peel. Yeah, it's like an orange peel brewed taste thing. <laughs> so you didn't have to work real hard at that one then to make your drink. Oh, no, I just opened it. <laughs> Giordo approves, approves of it. Sounds tasty. I made something much more creative. And as usual, I'll drop it in our Instagram with the recipe. Uh, I took a picture, but it's not up there yet. But you will find it. I'm curious what the name is because it looks... Okay, I'm going to take some guesses about what's in this drink. Is there Midori? Yes. Is there pineapple juice? That's two out of three. Yep. Is there sour mix? No, just vodka. Just vodka. Okay. Yep. yep. So it's called a Pearl Harbor, and it's it's fun looking. Well, you know, all the pineapple juice takes you to Hawaii. Pearl Harbor. Okay. Now, Midori, yeah, yeah, that's being a Japanese that's melon where I was flavor. Going with it. <laughs> oh, okay. I see where someone maybe named it a Pearl Harbor for that reason, but maybe uh, tasteless? I don't know. We don't have any listeners in Japan yet, so we should be okay. Oh. <laughs> Look at that. Oh. oh, in the Discord. Enough of those will torpedo the episode. This gets oh. worse and worse. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> going down hopefully we don't sink let's let's just keep going oh jeez okay so we have 38 episodes that are published already yes and we are over 13,000 downloads and plays already on those mind boggling i'm sorry what yeah exactly over 13,000 so all of you that are hearing this thank you we are just wowed and uh odd that you're willing to keep listening to our content we appreciate it happy father's day <laughs> Thank you, son. <laughs> yes, we are recording on Father's Day. And uh, it won't be Father's Day when they hear this. But it's I'm, great to have a father-son podcast and to do it on Father's Day. I'm pretty sure I told Rob that I was probably going to forget. But but you did. First thing you did this morning, you came yeah. down and you said, Happy Father's Day. And then you got some coffee. Well, so I, I looked I, it even the came before it the coffee. wasn't ready quite yeah. yet. <laughs> um, one more piece of business before yes. we jump into today, today's well, great content. Kind of business. Yeah, and it's just to point out that we also, uh, this week, besides doing podcast collaboration with Malkir Talks, we also did something with Tales of a Red Arm podcast. Mm -hmm. Justin and James do a real deep dive, wheel of time, chapter by chapter focus, and they just finished up uh, The Eye of the World. So we went over and we chatted, we talked about some things from that book, and so that's a, another one that will be coming out. Not sure exactly when. Yeah, they're doing just some special episodes before they move into The Great Hunt, and this was one of them. And so you can watch that. When I see it, I'll drop a link with one of ours, too, to go, hey, see what we talked about, what kinds of things. It was just a fun episode. It mm -hmm. wasn't deep content. It was just a bunch, 10 different questions that had to do with random things related to the eye of the world. Chit-chatting about the book, the characters, and trying not to spoil too much. Right. So if you've read Eye of the World, 
you'll enjoy this. If you haven't read Eye of the World, you're probably, you're probably not, not listening, listening to, to us episode. at this point. Yeah, yeah. But it, considering we're over halfway through the Great Hunt. That's right. We are well Oops. over halfway through the Great Hunt. We're getting to the final push. Yes, because okay. we are now at chapter 35. And we have three chapters up for today. So let's do it. Let's get into it. Chapter 35 is called Studying Sofu. I still think you got so it there you go you gotta say so, the tea gotta enough. Get, that's so right food. we had that whole conversation last time just because it really drives in the yes, importance of the okay. tea i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> rand and the others are making their way to <laughs> i'm gonna mess up how to say steading <laughs> it's so in my head no, now setting sofu steading sofu all right uh... in hopes of using the waygate there which is their next best chance to catch fane and recover the Horn of Alir and the Shader Logoth dagger before more time passes. Yes. I mean, the urgency's real. Mm-hmm. They believe that Fane can't open the chest. He would have done it earlier, but he's always away. If too much time passes, he'll find somebody and th- they'll be able to open it or something and get the horn, call the heroes, all this mess. Plus, there's Matt. Yeah. As Discord saying, the clock is ticking. Time keeps on ticking. Slipping, slipping. No, I wanted the ticking because we can't be (laughs) copywritten. Ah, okay. Change the words. It's a parody then. I see. But yeah, uh, and he's he's deteriorating fast. It's very obvious we need to get that dagger. And if uh, the ways is their shortcut to get there fast enough. If they were to just ride there, it will take them months to get Mm -hmm. across the continent to Falme, where they believe... According to the hint that was dropped, a little message that was left, that's where Pat and Fane is gone. So the one way was blocked by Mak and Shin. Now we're going to go to another way gate and hopefully get in that one. But Ingtar, man, he is still grumbling. He's like, oh yeah, it's a we're huge riding trick. to this steading. It's the opposite direction from going to Falme. So he already knows if we were to just ride to Falme, it would take way too long. But we get almost a step further of going, Fane wouldn't have told them where we were actually going. He's just sending us on a wild goose chase, and he's going back to the Blight or something. But then, if he believes that, why should he be upset that they're riding the wrong direction? You know, so, Ingtar is conflicted. He's a mess. (laughs) Exposition reminds us, then, that when we're going to this steading that creatures of the shadow are reluctant to enter a steading. Yes, we saw that in the first book when Egwene and Elias and Perrin and the wolves were going and fleeing from the ravens, and they yeah. got into the steading in safety. Now, Aes Sedai are also reluctant to go into a steading. Yeah. What's the deal, Zach? What have we learned in the past that you can remind us of and Loyal reminds us of in the conversation here? Why would they be uncomfortable going into a steading? You cannot access the one power inside of a steading not even can access can't even feel it it's like the true source doesn't exist it's not there you can't sense a thing very unsettling yes withdrawal symptoms for these twitchy addicted cold turkey yeah. source users yep so when they do finally cross into the border of the steading <laughs> nothing looks different rand is a little like Huh, I kind of thought there'd be a change. Yeah, it'd be like we go from uh, this weird grass to suddenly a vibrant, wonderful forest and grove. And no, it's just the same. Yeah, everything looks the same. But they do feel a difference. They all feel a difference. Even those who can't feel the power, like, noticeably are like, something's a little different. Mm Mm-hmm. We get Rand's point of view. He feels like a chill as he passes through, but then immediately feels this, huh, 
a sense of refreshment, perhaps like a, a weight is off someone's shoulders, and everybody's feeling that. I don't know if everybody feels the chill. That might be the loss of the connection to the source, but they all feel like, oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. Again, everything looks the same, but it feels palpably nicer. And Loyal certainly feels that big time. Uh, he comments on, yeah, it's good to be in a steading again. <laughs> yeah, it just, it feels nice. So he's, he's glad to be back here, despite him having been rather reluctant to head here in the first place. And in this chapter, we're going to learn more about why yeah, we'll see he was a reluctant. Bit. Yes. But shortly after they pass through this area, a new Ogier arrives. Ta-da! Steps out from behind a tree, and we get to meet a Lady Ogier. Let's be real here. They don't look that different. <laughs> Unless you're an Ogier. I'm, yeah, you can totally tell huge differences if you're of the species but uh (laughs) sorry the way you said that i just had a monty python flash huge tracts of land sorry that one went over my head (laughs) i'll have to remind you where that's from anyways we've got this lady ogier and ran Mm -hmm. senses she's no older than loyal so she's old but very young for ogier you know so maybe she's like 85 80. The equivalent of a new adult in human terms. She introduces herself as Aerith, daughter of Iva, daughter of Alar, and welcomes them, then comments on how unusual it is to have so many humans visiting the steading at once. So apparently there's more humans here already. Now, when I first read that, I didn't get that understanding. Like, it makes sense. And you go, yeah, there's more humans in the steading. But I'm also sitting here going... There are a decently large number of humans in and of themselves. So when I first read it, I was just like, oh, she's thinking it's weird. There's a lot of people. I could see your confusion, but... But no, there's more people here. Yeah, she's referencing there's already humans, and now, ooh, even more humans. Oh, boy, because they just don't get that many human visitors. Yeah, they're so hasty. Hmm. On Aerith's request, the Shinaran soldiers, for the most part, remain outside the setting. She mentions, you know, Ogier, we're, we're peaceful, and having that many armed men come into the steading, it would just all be so uncomfortable. So would you not mind, please? I wish I could roll an insight check on Aerith here. Yeah? Just to see what she really's on about. Oh, come on. Ogier are loyal good. Absolutely. Lawful good. but Lawful good. Loyal. See, Ogier. <laughs> sorry. Lawful good. So there's no... You don't have to doubt her intentions. No, I just... We're going to see something shortly that I think she doesn't explain her full motives in keeping them all out. I think it was genuine, though. No, I think no, it this is, was just genuine. It is genuine in kindness, but I don't think she says everything. See, I disagree with what you're what you're hinting at. We'll get Because when that happens, she's just completely flummoxed and shocked. So it didn't even cross her mind that that would be a problem. I don't know about that. Okay, we can talk about that in a moment. Uh, so certainly no problem. We'll have the Shinarans stay out. And the only Shinarans that come with the party are Ingtar and Hiran. Everybody else going to wait outside the steading. A moment of humor here. Mm-hmm. We get to talk about Aerith a little bit again because Loyal, man, he is clearly taken by how pretty she is. Mm-hmm. Now, again, in human terms, nothing pretty at all. She's, She's an Ogier. Very Ogier. Very but big, big ears, big eyes, big, big eyebrows. eyebrows. Oh, those eyebrows. Apparently, as Ogier goes, she's a looker. And to hear Loyal fawning over this, it was cute. I'm like, aww. <laughs> Loyal comments again on how good it feels to be back in a steading. 
Now that the longing was taking me, you understand. But no, they don't understand, so Loyal explains. Zack, give us a crash course. What is the longing about? Basically, because of the breaking of the world happening, the Ogier lost their steading, spent a bunch of time outside of it, and have now an ingrained issue when they are leaving steadings. They found them again, but now are like physically tied to them in a way that if they spend too long away from it, bad things happen. They can even like lose the will to live and die. Yeah, yeah. So it's a serious thing, and they have to pay attention to that. They just cannot be away too long. To but me, he has not been away too long, he's no. clarifying. To me, it always kind of rang similarly, this idea of the longing with what we got described it would be like for someone who had been gentled. Losing the will to live. That you're missing, you're missing something vital important to you, that you, you can't get it back, and it slowly drains away from you. Okay. Now, Discord is asking, is Loyal being honest about this? Being truthful? You know... Was he maybe feeling some longing already and he just wants to deny it? Or is he completely genuine? Nah, I'm fine still. Well, I, I think this might be a little bit of a uh, determining factor of we don't fully understand how the longing works enough as to whether it's like you've reached a certain point and a switch flips and you're hurting the longing or literally every step outside, it's slowly building and eventually it reaches a tipping point. Yep. I like to think the former. So yeah, he is feeling longing in this little time here. If it's good for him. A little booster shot. Yeah. Like he took his vitamin D. Spend a little time in the steading. Sure. There you go. Eventually, now we're going to uh, follow Era further in into the steading now. And yep, they ra- arrive at an Ogier town. There's a community within the steading. But you got to go further in. And in fact, you go into where they find the great trees. These massive and incredible sites. Robert Jordan appears to have modeled them upon like great sequoia redwoods but not exactly Mm -hmm. because as i read it it sounds like the great trees are not one type of tree they're numerous kinds of trees but they are massive and incredible like they are um plus size of regular trees that's fair i never really like considered them being multiple kinds of trees i was just like they're big trees maybe a little magical but i think you're actually right i mean i always thought of them just as like redwoods But when I was reading this chapter again and preparing, it seemed to be they were describing the great trees as maples and oaks and elms. I mean, different types. There were just these huge, massive things. Huh. So, yeah. Listeners, if you think I misinterpreted this time, please let me know. Clarify for me. I might have to research that a little bit more. I'm willing to go with it just because I think it's really cool. This idea of Ogier are really big, so their trees are really big too. But (laughs) they're just normal trees. They're just all really big. Well, and they honor these trees. They take care of these trees. Maybe their care for them extends their lives. You know, normally a tree is not going to live thousands of years. A redwood will. But it doesn't matter how good you are to a maple tree. It's not going to live that long. It'll live a long, long, oh, long yeah, time. Oh, yeah, it'll live a long time, but it's not going to live thousands of years. It has an expiration date on it. And maybe in this world, with the care the Ogier provide, they go so much longer. Especially they're, like, singing. They're tree singing, like Jordo points out, um, that we saw Loyal do back with the Green Man afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that whole There could be something talent. to that. And they have a... Maybe some symbiotic relationship that when the Ogier are with the trees and the trees are with the Ogier, everything's better. But as far as I'm aware, this is something special to Steadings. The great trees only exist in Steadings. And as far groves. As I'm aware. 
Ogier groves have. Can great, they have great trees? They there? do. They do. They plant the great trees in those places as well. Okay. Like in Tarvalon, in their grove, there is a great tree. Yeah, multiple. There's great trees there. Yeah, and they talked about earlier where you know Loyal is crying over the groves that well, have been cut down, like being in chopped down. Yeah, but I didn't you realize know, that was because there were great trees there. Yeah. I thought it was just yeah. they were special groves. I believe it was mentioned specifically. Like cuttings from great trees that were planted and turned into trees. I don't know if you'd plant a great tree with a cutting. Well, I mean, like, so apple trees do this See, weird that's thing different. where we, like, splice bits of a tree into an existing tree, and so, like, none of the apples we eat are actually from actual apple trees. It's a really weird process that I encourage you to go look into because <laughs> it, it is. blows my mind. <laughs> I think we're we're getting down a tangent here, though, talking about the trees. We're going down, out on a tree branch. <laughs> and we're going down the we branch. Should, we should leave far. it alone. Yep, it's getting a little too thin. All right, so we do learn specifically a little bit more about the trees when Loyal is talking here now. Yes. And one of those things is that they never cut them down. Nope. They do occasionally die, but it's rare. They last a long time. Most of these trees that they're seeing right here in the Ogier Grove go back to, you know, the breaking. Not that they were here at the breaking. They were like saplings that mm -hmm. survived and were then planted here when the steading was found again. Notably, very few great trees actually did survive the breaking of the world. Yeah. So violent was it? It was pretty intense. All right. So they're in this community now. They're in this town. Mm -hmm. We get to see lots of Ogier. Lots of Ogier. Doing they're... lots of Ogier things. Yep. None of them really are like, ah, strangers. No, they're just going about their business and they seem very relaxed and content. Full of Ogier people. <laughs> we come to learn that the Ogier here, this one was surprising, actually live in mounds in the ground. So that is kind of they weird walk to me. downstairs. Yeah, they disappear into these mounds when they go in their homes or in the central buildings of the town. Yeah. It's just weird. But if you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, they don't want to hurt the trees, so they're so not going to build out of lumber. Nor are they going to, like, secure things into or on it, dig into the tree itself, maybe in and amongst the roots and stuff, but it's a little weird. Yeah, and that's exactly the reaction they have. It's like, well, a little, little different. I think this is a moment where Robert Jordan gets to kind of subvert our expectations a little bit because he gives us these giant people with weird features and things and then gives them traits that we associate from earlier fantasy with like shorter people like dwarves <laughs> living in the ground, building yeah. things. And they so, need pretty big mounds. Exactly. It's a yeah. weird juxtaposition that we're not used to. Interesting. Yes. Aerith notes the Steading's other guests now, as we see three human women coming into view. They are Aiel women, and Ingtar identifies them as maidens of the spear as he steps away from Varen and Aerith and loosens his sword in his scabbard. Okay, whoa, what, what, wait. Okay, we already know from the past that Shinarians and Aiel have a tense relationship. Yeah. And this is the first time fair. that we're seeing female Aiel. We have seen male Aiel on a couple of occasions. I believe we only really saw one once so far. It was when they met the one on the road. Okay. His name was... Oh, goodness. Urian. Is it actually Urian? Yeah, I think that's right. But now, oh, females. Wow. So, huh. And, we, and we're hearing a new term for them. Like we said, maidens of the spear. So that term did 
kind of get dropped the previous time we met one as well. Talking um, about that some women also yeah, battle. Yeah, he, he, he wouldn't draw against a woman, well, unless they were wed to the spear or a maiden or something. Yep. Robert Jordan does give us a detailed description of these women, and we're not going to go all through that again, but suffice it to say they're garbed very similarly to the Aiel men that we'd met before. All those natural colors that could blend right into rocks or woods. Uh, they're described as tall for women, each with short-cut hair except for shoulder-length tail at the back. And as we've seen with Aiel before, they've got short bows on the backs, mm -hmm. uh, quivers and long knives hanging from the belts, and they each carry a small shield with a cluster of spears. Those spears being the very long-tipped spears. Yes. They look dope. I'm just saying. <laughs> I will also, however, say the last time we ran into an Aiel a bunch of Shinarans charged uh -huh. and like Ingtar and others were like, Hey, yo, stop. Don't do it. He, he's clearly not going to attack us. He doesn't have his veil up. These ones don't have their veil up either. Well, yet. Yeah. When the women see them, they react Shinarans and quickly veil their faces, <laughs> crouching low and advancing with shields and spears at the ready. It's like they're ready to throw down. So to be fair to them, Ingtar loosened his sword first. He hadn't drawn it. No, but he loosened it. Yeah. Uh, Ingtar now draws it in response, a defensive response. He warns yeah. Varen and Aerith, stand clear. Uh, all They were the three that were in front. Everybody else had been trailing them because Aerith was leading with Varen and Ingtar. That's why he's pushing them aside, you know, and saying, I've got this, you know, basically. And then uh, Rand goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, too. Pulls out his sword. Yep, his heron mark blade comes out, and Perrin, what? He pulled, oh, I'm doing, pulled out his oh, sword. Oh, he gestured. <laughs> you can't see it. He just, he's pulled his imaginary sword right here. He, just, um, he looked at me like I went insane. <laughs> and Perrin Thanks, Dad. is freeing his axe from its holder, and Matt, he's like, what are you guys doing? You're crazy. I don't care if they're Aiel, they're women. So he's not going to fight. So what's Matt's point? Well, Matt's point is, they're women. I'm not going to hurt a woman. And why? Period. Where does that come from? Why is Matt saying well, that? It comes from his sensibilities in his hometown, what he was raised with down at, back in Emmonsfield, that you take care of women. You don't put them in the into a fight. You don't let them get dangered. And you put down your life defending, not attacking them. This is a very ingrained thing for the Emmonsfield folk. Now... Rand and Perrin are preparing their weapons. Matt just seemed to cling firmer to that. Okay, and maybe that's something we will continue to see in these characters and maybe in Matt more than anyone else. And clearly not everyone in this world has that thought process oh, no, to things. Oh, no, not everyone. But Matt at least is demonstrating here, no. And the two rivers, it's, you know, they're old-fashioned, very traditional is kind of the sense that we're getting. In a lot of ways, at least. Both Aaron, uh, Aaron... <laughs> yeah, Aaron and Aaron Vareth. Aaron and Vareth, shall I call them that? Yeah, both Aerith and Varen Sedai are trying to talk down the two groups. But the Aiel, they keep steadily advancing step by step. And our guys, they're stealing themselves for this fight. Well, Matt, not so much. He's ready to just run. Yeah, he's going to get back on his horse, head the other direction. And Loyal, he's not going to fight. He's saying, remember the pact. But everyone's ignoring him. And then another Ogier steps up right between the two groups, insisting they all put their weapons away, sounding scandalized. Mm -hmm. Looking at Rand's group, 
He acknowledges, for you there may be some excuse, but then he turns to the Eel women and brings up the pact again. Yep. So apparently there's a deal that everyone is safe in a steading. That's the and, and the pact in some way is that, you know, you come here, you do no violence. Mm-hmm. No fighting, no hand even raised against each other. I mean, if you want in, you respect that. And the Aiel, well, they look very chagrined now. They ask forgiveness mm-hmm. of the Ogier. And they basically say, you know, we saw armed men here in the land of the tree killers where everyone's against us, and we reacted. We apologize. But there, there very much is a sense of this Ogier looking at Shinarans and Rand, Matt, Perrin, all them co, and going, y'all don't know any better well enough. Like, you should, yep. but you don't. But you Aiel, you guys know. Yep, shame on you. <laughs> so apparently o- the Ogier and Aiel have this deal stronger than other people. Perhaps. But now, okay, the situation is diffused. And the Ogier, he turns to Varen and bows, sharing that he has come to take her to the elders, who wish to know why an Aes Sedai is here in the steading. Again, Aes Sedai don't usually like to come into steadings. No, not really. And why she's in the company of armed men and one of their own youths, which Loyal appears to try to disappear. <laughs> you ever seen someone who's really, really big try to disappear? I mean, I manage it because I'm six foot, but I'm also really, really tiny in other directions. <laughs> we pick up a few things then of note. The Aiel may have backed down, but they're still staring at Rand's group in a rather unfriendly manner. They still seem sort they're of hostile. staring spears. Nice. Particularly at Rand. The three women, there was two that are more mature, one that was clearly young. And she's uh, the one that's the most filled with contempt mm-hmm. in her look, even even horror at, mm-hmm. at, at this person, and especially that he has a sword. And we're talking about Rand, that he has a sword. What, yeah. what is her deal? Why is she so irritated that Rand is holding a sword? Well, specifically, Rand, we've heard it time and time again, looks like an Aielman. So do you think she's assuming he is? Either is or is in some way connected to the blood of Aiel men in some way. It's reminiscent and reminds her that when she then sees an Aiel men and a sword, that's a problem for her. And I don't know if we've really seen why that's a problem yet. No, we have um, not. But that's a problem for her. This one, I, I I have to admit, and I hate throwing shade at Robert Jordan at all, mm-hmm. but this one didn't make a lot of sense to me. Because she clearly can't really think he's an Aiel. Because no Aiel would be dressed like this. And yet sword. every one of his people, every Westlander goes, you're an Aiel. Everyone thinks he's Aiel. Yes. But he has to look so much like Aiel that Aiel would think he looks like Aiel. Everyone who isn't an Aiel thinks he looks like an Aiel. I get that. But the Aiel look at him and might say, you look kind of like an Aiel. But he's not an Aiel, obviously, because he would not be dressed or acting in this manner. So and that's why I'm like, they could, you know, perhaps have questioned. But for her to be so mortified that well, he's wearing a sword, I'm like, huh. And it's I, not, I don't know that I get that. It's not necessarily, yes, this person is Aiel. But it's a, you see someone who looks like they should be sticking to certain ideals or systems and they aren't. Everything about that is just disgusting. Okay. And so the fact that he looks Aiel, whether she believes he is or not, it's like seeing her worst nightmare in front of her. Mm. All right. That is a way to look at it then. The Aiel, we learn, are supposedly here in the setting for Sungwood. 
according to Aerith. Remember, a few Ogier have this talent, the ability to sing items out of trees, and we've seen Loyal do it a couple of times. Yeah, he sung like a quarterstaff when they were in the portal world right. thing. Now, now, humorously, as Aerith mentions how the tree singing talent is rare these days, but we have two, and she's very proud, and then she goes on to mention that she's heard Steading Shangtai has a young tree singer who is very talented. And that's the humor, because she's talking about Loyal and doesn't even realize it. He is the talented young tree singer. So good job, Loyal. You're talented. Yeah. Perrin and Matt, they don't believe the Aioli here for Sungwood. Instead, they believe this is part of that search for He Who Comes with the Dawn that they heard about from Urien. And they believe is possibly Rand? Mm-hmm. They, they had concluded that back then, but they've never shared this story with Rand yet. So now Rand's like, what's... What? What is this about? And he gets that full story from them, that meeting with Aiel by Kinslayer's Dagger. And from that event, Matt and Perrin concluding, Rand, you're the one they're looking for. Uh, you're an Aiel. You've never lived in the Waste. You are outside the Waste. You gotta be the, you gotta be the one. Which now throws in an extra piece as to why was that one Aiel so upset? Maybe she's making a connection here, but that's being put right next to He's carrying a sword. He's dressed like an outlander. There's all this mess. It's more complicated. Hmm. Rand is not amused at this theory. That no, Matt he's and not a bloody Aiel. That's right. I'm two rivers folk. Tam Althor is my father. You know, yeah, we get you all keep that again. Aerith <laughs> has left them in a place where they can relax while Varen has gone off with the other Ogier. This is a room that appears to have been set up with humans in mind. But even so, the furniture is a little too big. It's like, oh, nice try, Ogier. You, you downsized it, but no, they're not all actually seven feet tall. Okay, but is that really that big of an issue? I mean, for one, Rand probably, everything fits fine. It's Varen who there's a problem for, probably. She's the short but one But Varen's here. not here. She went Exactly. Already. So is it really that big of a deal? And secondly, if it was, say, bedding, because I assume if the furniture is all, like, too big for comfort, they probably have rooms and beds, and they're probably too big of beds, but I've never complained about having a bed that was too big. (laughs) But, you know, I think of your mother. She's short. Compared to us, she's short. And we go places, and she sits down, and a, a chair is a little too big, so that her feet are dangling. Yeah, that's fun. You get to oh, kick, that swing is not your feet. comfortable. Whee! That's well, it's not comfortable. So that's the experience they're having here. Everything's just a little too big to be actually comfortable. I wish I got to swing my feet more in chairs. <laughs> no, you, you all grew that a long time ago. A long time ago. It's been what a decade at least. Now, while they're waiting, Huron comments on how wonderful the air smells. Now, that's not just specifically the smell of the air. No, that's Huron. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's what's in a name. <laughs> Smelling a lack of smell almost. That's right. As a sniffer, he smells violence. Right. And this is like, a place that doesn't really. There's never been have violence, violence here. No one's ever been killed accidentally or on purpose. I, just I mean, maybe there was like the occasional little scuffle of things when people forgot the pact, more or less. But. It's very rare, and it's like maybe once in the past few thousand years. So he likes it here. He's never had a place that smelled so violence-free. It's it's great. Well, they may be safe, because steadings are safe for everyone, but Loyal, he does not look comfortable. Nope. He looks stressed and worried. 
And as they've been waiting, it's compounding his stress because multiple Ogier girls and women have stopped by, one after another, just checking in to be sure they didn't need anything. Are you guys fine? Is there anything I can get you? And, no, you know, they always hear, no, we're fine, and then they leave, and it's one after another Loyal after another. experiencing what Rand used to talk about seeing in the Two Rivers or what he experienced at the party in Kyrian. He's getting a lot of attention. Oh, he's getting checked out. And it's not really wanted. <laughs> Jordo and Discord say Loyal must be good looking. He's got great eyebrows. I think he is. I think he's the epitome of a nice young lad for an Ogier. Well, I don't know if I would go quite that far, but Robert Jordan does have a tendency to make his main characters ridiculously attractive. <laughs> okay, that's that's probably true. But what he explains to the rest of them is what happens with Ogier. The tradition here is that when a girl takes note of a Ogier lad that she's interested in, she will make that known, typically telling her mother. And her mother will then go talk to that Ogier boy's mother, and they'll work out an arrangement, and ta-da! You will now be getting married. And the Ogier boy has no say about it. No, he just gets told, hey, this has been set up. You are now going to be married. So what he is pretty sure is happening is all these girls and even their moms are coming by, checking him out and deciding, hmm, shall we make a move on this one? (laughs) And that's the last thing he wants. He does not want to get married because he has this belief once he gets married, all the fun stops. Yeah, he's not allowed to wander about and see the world and gain the research for his books. And I mean, he wasn't really allowed to do that in the first place, but he just went. And well, because he just went, if, if he gets married, he's well, he's going to have to be really brought to heel, so to speak. <laughs> now, you know, there are people in our world that also buy into this theory, by the way, that once married, all the fun stops. <laughs> You're laughing at something in the Discord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like picking out the lobster out of the tank before dinner loyal feels like he's the lobster and they're checking out which one do they want do we want this one that's harsh but accurate (laughs) so you know he's he is pretty terrified though that the end result of all this is that someone's gonna want him to be settled down matched up and is gonna send a message back to his mom and he won't be able to keep having his travels is fun. Now, now Matt, going on with what you were saying just there oh, yeah. for a moment, throwing in my two cents, marriage doesn't have to mean that you actually settle down. It could just mean you have a partner in crime now. You know, it's all about marrying well. you got to marry the right person. The right person for you, and maybe that is settling down. Maybe if, it's not. If you feel you're ready for it at that point. Yeah. If you feel like you marry someone and therefore you have to change everything about yourself for her, you're marrying the wrong person. It should be someone that it is a good match for, you know, and they enjoy your friends, enjoy your hobbies. They may not do everything with you, but you don't have to stop everything that you were passionate about because, oh, now you have a ball and chain. <laughs> okay, you're, you're just giving the thumbs up there. I felt targeted. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. That's not an, with your current girlfriend. An, yeah, no, that's an X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your your girlfriend's been on the podcast with oh, us. Oh, she's great. Which you all will hear about at the next episode. The previous that's episode drop. before this. Right, the one that is just before this one. And so Jordan was there live. Yeah. So. If you've been listening in, in sequence, 
then it's the one you just listened to. Uh, you got to meet his girlfriend. She's She's cool. great. Yeah. So Matt finds all of this talk about how Ogier do this marriage thing to just be ridiculous. He makes loud proclamation, Among us, men do the choosing, and no wife can stop a man doing what he wants. Uh-huh. And I'm like, really, Matt? <laughs> you really think that's how it goes? Matt's a little naive here. Even Rand, listening to Matt say that, is thinking, going, wait a second. Thinking back to Emmons Field and how things were when I was growing up. and I like to think Matt I don't think Matt that's how it works. wants to believe that's how it works. <laughs> Not that it actually is. He just wants it to be true. Yeah. Perhaps he will uh, have his eyes opened over time. We'll see. Perhaps. At that moment, that Ogier from before steps in and announces the elders would like to see all of them now. Loyal almost drops the book he's looking at. The boys try to reassure Loyal, saying, you know, if the elders try to make you stay, we'll tell them we need you. Uh, you've got to be allowed to come with us. It's important. And the chapter ends with Loyal voicing the options before him. Stay and get married, or travel the ways. Life is very unsettling with Taviran for friends. Hey, he called them his friends. He did. He also called him Taviran, which Matt does not like to hear. Yeah, none of them really do. But you know, it's better than uh, someone telling you you're the dragon. Uh-huh. Rand would rather be just Taviran. Uh, probably. We go right into chapter 36. This just continues, and it's called Among the Elders, so that's a pretty self-explanatory title. Yeah, we uh, quickly kind of skim through them walking and then suddenly are there. Yep, they come to a really big grassy mound. Biggest they've seen in the entire town. And they are encouraged to descend the steps to enter. Loyal is a nervous wreck by this point. He's been getting more and more jittery the whole walk over to the mound. And Rand sees this, and he says, why don't you just wait outside? Oh, I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, the elders probably just need to speak with us. Yeah, Loyal, he just pulls out a book. Very grateful. I'm going to relax. Have a seat. Go ahead. I mean, the other Ogier, he kind of raises an eyebrow. You're like, really? But Rand even says it to him. No, no, he'll be fine out here. Don't worry about it. So they enter this room, and it's it's huge. Uh, at least in scale, it could it could be like a room in a palace. But of course, it's just all underground. Mm-hmm. They see before them seven Ogier elders. And Varen is seated before those elders, uh, facing the elders. To Rand, these elders, they practically ooze wisdom. He's never met people that seem to have this, this air of authority and confident, serene, just wisdom. Approximately how old do you think the elders here are? Hundreds of years old. I, mean, I like, don't know how old. We loosely learned Ogier lives somewhere like three to 500, right? I think they live longer than that. I would have to double check. Well, I, I did not do my research to find that out. I think we got told when Loyal met Rand that it had been like three generations since the fall of Manetherin. So that was okay. like three generations for 15, 1800 years, give or take. Somewhere in there. Okay. So that puts a generation at like five to six hundred years. I, I think I'll need to look that up again, just out of ease my curiosity then. But maybe about that. But it, it's somewhere in there enough that I I think it would make sense that the elders are like six, seven hundred years old. They're they're old. Yeah. They're they're definitely up there. Very experienced, very knowledgeable. They've seen a lot. 
and they've learned not to be hasty. <laughs> so here they are in front of these people. It's mm-hmm. probably a little intimidating as well. The head elder, an Ogier woman named Alar, shares with the rest of them that Varen has expressed their need to use the Waygate. And why? But, you know, that has not been allowed in over a hundred years. Ingtar starts to go off on a rant, but Alar tells him not to be so hasty. The ways are dangerous. Rand shares that they are aware, and they have seen Machin Shin already. But Alar notes being aware of the danger is not enough. They need to truly understand the danger. So at that point, she has an Ogier led into the room, one of the last ones to have used the ways. And he is just an empty shell, a living body with no mind. Alar, we get it, but put your scare tactics away. We definitely get it. We've experienced, we've been through the ways, we've experienced Machin Shin. We see it. It's bad. But you're just trying to scare us. But definitely wants, before they are going to allow anything, them to truly be able to visualize what could happen to you. I mean, it's clear here to me, this is not an actual, I want you to be aware. This is a, I want to scare you out of your current course so that I don't have to tell you no. Well... I, I felt more that the Ogier want to truly feel confident that if they're going to say yes, they're saying yes to people who have made a fully informed decision. Not, uh, we're just overconfident and we can do this. I'm still just going to sit in the camp of going, I don't think they want to say yes, period. Well, no, I'll agree there. They don't want to say yes. They might, but they don't want to. Varen also acknowledges, we know the risk. But the need to regain the Horn of Valir is too great to avoid the risk. They have to take this chance. They must take this chance. So be it. So Alar will lead them to the Waygate herself. Now, we had earlier in the chapter, well, in last chapter, we had Alar mentioned already. Do you remember where her name came up already? I don't think I'd Alar caught this until this time through. Aerith's grandmother? Yes, exactly. Unless there's another Alar, but I'm pretty sure this is the Alar. Aerith, daughter of someone, daughter of Alar. Exactly, yeah. So there's a familial connection to the I, first Ogier they met. Even after you telling me that, I can't believe I pulled that out. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll lead you to the Waygate. But now she shifts the topic to Loyal, commenting on him being far from home. And as promised, Rand speaks up identifies their need for Loyal, and Perrin and Matt, I love this, they also speak up for Loyal in their own ways, and Matt's like, and he pulls his own weight, you know, <laughs> he's a nice gear, you know, just no real need things, just, but we like him. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be honest, I think the boys don't necessarily help the case here they're trying to like the good wingmen yeah discord says yeah they're trying they're buds but they're also trying in like human ways mm. well, varin pulls out the ace card though yeah and she says well we actually do need him along he has made a point of studying the ways he knows how to decipher the guidings in there so for us to actually navigate them Loyal needs to be our guide. Mm-hmm. He was even the guide once before. I don't remember if he, she mentions that, because I don't think they want to mention did. that they used the ways before. But it is true. So Alar then speaks directly to Rand. She notes she can sense he is to Varen. 
and a very strong one because, you know, for her to actually be able to sense it, she's saying, you must be very strong. We Ogier don't have much gift in they being able to notice They don't have the to like see right. Tavirin. Right, so for, for me to be able to tell, you must be strong. And that has possibly sucked Loyal in. That he is part of the pattern that the web is weaving around you right now. And if that's the case, it doesn't matter if I say yes or no, it's going to happen. Right. Rand simply says, it's just that Loyal is my friend. Uh Lars' response is, okay, that's fine. But Loyal is young. Uh, In human years, about your age, probably. Okay, he's saying to Rand. But you are Taviran. So Loyal doesn't really have much agency here. He's getting sucked in your wake. I'm making you responsible. If he's going to go with you, you need to commit to see that he is delivered safely Mm -hmm. back to Steading Shangtai when the pattern is done with y'all. Yes, because Loyal has free will and choice in his actions so long as it continues along the path that Tavira and steer him on here. Mm Mm-hmm. And Rand agrees. He, he will see that done. And he kind of feels like, I, I like I just swore an oath or something, you know. Mm. But okay, that's what it takes. That's what I'll commit to. So, I like to imagine here, just, just imagining that this is the moment of loyal. We're giving you the ultimate plot armor. We're just saying, Tavirin, say you have to make it through to get back to the steading. Is it actually going to be useful or anything? I don't know. But we're trying to do that for you because we like you. <laughs> Well, with that, it's time to head to the Waygate. They exit the mound, and Loyal scrambles to his feet as they appear. Hirin runs off to fetch the rest of the Shinaran soldiers. Loyal, he's like, Rand, what did they say? What did they say about me? And he learns, you're allowed to come with us. Yeah, you're good. Loyal's like, wait, really? I imagine he's like, yes! (laughs) No, no, he's more of a, yes. But at the same time, he's actually sitting there going, Look what Aerith gave me. <laughs> He's playing with this flower, and he is still taken. He's smitten. Absolutely. He's fallen hard for this this girl. <laughs> He's whipped. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. He's head over heels. The group proceeds to lead, leave the Ogier town then, and just as they have left, now Hirin and the Shinaran soldiers come up, and and then eventually the elders point to the way gate. Not very far. Like, they've just made it outside the uh, steading. And they're like, it's it's right over there. And Rand's like, okay, so, huh. I kind of thought something would, you know, happen. I'd feel different leaving. But remember, there was that, that sense when they came into the steading. And, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't feel anything different as they left. But Rand kind of does a little self-check then. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, there's the source. <laughs> I can sense it again. So uh, apparently there is a different feeling coming in than there is going out. But all right, here's the uh, the way gate. Alar invites the group to approach it. She says, I, I feel no need to draw any closer. We don't want anything to do with the ways. Yeah, we close those off for a reason. Yes, Varen steps up. She removes that trefoil leaf to open it. And as the gate begins to open, Rand sees the blackness. Well, shit. Yeah, not that silver again. It's Machinshin! And he shouts out to close it. Varen quickly does, startled. Varen's baffled because, 
you know, the Black Wind doesn't do this. It had been waiting back in Kyrian. Yeah. Uh, and that was an anomaly. She wrote that off. Surely it wasn't waiting for you guys. But now it's here again? That's okay. It's only two things. This is a coincidence. Uh, they have to go to a third one and try it again. And then it's a pattern. Yeah. Rand has got to be like, I told you so. <laughs> now do you believe me? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Now what? Well, first of all, we got this thing closed again. Okay. Whew. We're safe. Good reaction time on Baron on uh-huh. that. Yep. Unlike some people who just drop the leaf and back away. Yeah. 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 But they're in it at an impasse now. They have no access to the ways. It will take months to follow Pat and Fane to Toman Head. They consider, well, what about some other way gates? Uh, where else could we find a way gate? And Varen's just like, no, no, no. If it was waiting here, it followed us to wait here. It's going to be waiting at all the other ones, too. Mm-hmm. Huron suggests then, wait, I got the answer. Let's use a portal stone. I like to think it's a record scratch freeze frame. What? As everyone goes, I mean, yeah, but like, what? Varen acknowledges that would be a possibility. And I I do know some things about portal stones. You know, Lar is like, uh, we're pretty sure the knowledge of how to use these things have been lost. But, you know, they've been there. You know, Rand, Huron, Loyal, they've been in a mirror world. But Varen is basically, well, it was a very specific comment. I want to quote mm-hmm. it. She says, And I want to tear it to shreds. <laughs> the brown Aja knows many things, and I know how the stones may be used. Yeah, break down that Isodinus. There are three main chunks to just tear this apart. First off, brown Aja knows many things. Totally good and fine, right? Mm-hmm. She then says, and I know. Therefore, the two halves of these statements are not necessarily related. Right. The brown Aja knowing things doesn't necessarily mean the brown Aja knows anything about these stones. Okay. Varian then says, I know how the stones may be used. She said may. She didn't say she knows how to use the stones. She doesn't say she can use the stones. Right. She says that, well, she knows how they may be used. Mm Mm-hmm. I could say... I have a vague idea that someone needs to be able to channel to use it and say, I know how it may be used. I can say, I know how I may be able to get to the moon. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I know how to get to the moon or that I'm going to get to the moon. It's a perfect example of how I said the truth you hear may not be the truth you think you hear. Yeah. Unfortunately, Varen knows of no portal stone close by. So, Rand, do you know where the uh, Kinslayer's Dagger one is? Can you get us back there? We, that's maybe the closest. Eh, and he's like, yeah, I think yeah, I probably. can find it. But then Alar speaks up, says, hey, no, no, actually, there is one quite close. Yeah, we don't remember how to use them or how they would be used, but, you know, we know where it is. Yeah, we, I can take you right there now. And the chapter ends with Varen. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills, and the pattern provides what is needful. So it's like it was meant to be. Viren. <laughs> and they quickly proceed to the stone. That's the end of chapter 36. Let's move to chapter 37. What might be? We're making pretty decent time for us. We are. We are. <laughs> Feels like the early days. <laughs> Alar leads the party to the portal stone, and it really was not far away at all. They all circle around it. It's a tall pillar of gray stone. Alar shares it had fallen over when they found it. You know, it was laying on the ground. And they stood it back up, but they couldn't move it. 
it was like it was stuck to this one location. It resisted being moved. I'm a little curious as to what that actually means. Like, if they had to stand it back up, clearly they could move it to an extent. But was it like they couldn't pick it up? Because clearly they picked it up to tip it back over. But did it, like, after they tipped it over, it got stuck and it couldn't move it again? Or did they, like, they tried picking it up and it hit an invisible wall? Or did it teleport back? Or You know, maybe, as I might see it, it's the where it's in the ground is where it's stuck. So it fell over, but its base was still in the same location. So they're able to stand it back up. But if they were to try to move from the base, uh-uh, it's not budging. But what you're saying there is, like, it was broken into two pieces. So they would have had to fix it and they don't know how these things are made or used so how would they have fixed it i have to think it fell over in like an intact hole mm-hmm. hard to say because i don't think it was broken it no. was just leaning it had just fallen over so so uh, to me i'm just like maybe they, they couldn't leave it get it off of the ground but they could move it and shift it enough they got enough that they tipped it back over and then yeah. it was like a fixed and maybe it's more of a general region where it's stuck as opposed to one specific hole, you know. I want to know the, like, specific <laughs> logistics of this, but I have to almost wonder if it's like a sentient magic item of sorts, where it was agreeing with getting picked back up and tipped mm. over, <laughs> nice. so it let itself be moved, but, like, as soon as it was getting carried away, Thanks, it I'm became ridiculously heavy, impossible to move. Maybe. Oh. Varen, at this point, wishes Alar well, but there's no time to waste. We need to use the portal stone now. So Alar bids them farewell. She notes that much that happens in the world passes the Ogier by untouched in our steadings. But she fears Tarman Gaiden won't do that. <sighs> she wishes them all well and then has one last look for Rand. And he, he reads into that. That's remember what you promised. Take care of our boy. And then she departs. Now for using the stone. Yes. Varen asks Rand to join her right at the stone. You know, they're in this big loose circle around it, but now, okay, come right up to it with me. And she says it loudly, saying, You have been transported by a portal stone more recently than I. What another great line. Uh-huh. Because Rand joins her, and he's like, oh, oh, so you've used a portal stone before. You're not actually expecting me to channel to use it. That's great. And Varen just looks- like turns to him and... Are you like, kidding me? Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, look at this thing. Do you think I could use this? She actually breaks down I Sedai talk for once. She says, I've never used one. Thus, your use is more recent than mine. <laughs> because you've used one, period. <laughs> and then she does say, I'm not nearly strong enough to, in the one power to use a stone. But I have studied them. So I may be able to help you. It's kind of crazy to me here that this gets mentioned because Varen isn't like talked about as being particularly weak in terms of Aes Sedai necessarily, but she's herself is saying she's not anywhere near strong enough. So. And that's it. This is not. This is a, a technology from long before, and it requires that your run a of the mill. Amount yeah, of your run of the mill Aes Sedai is not going to be able to use it, even if they know how. Much power taken. So now we're going to put on a show. <laughs> Rand notes, okay, I I really don't know anything about the portal stone. In fact, the only symbol he remembers is what Selene had showed him was the symbol for our world, and I don't even see that on here. 
And this is where Varen's knowledge does come into play. She says, of course you don't. know some things, yeah. Yeah, because that would be a symbol you'd use in a different Different place to to come here. here. But you're already here. So you don't need a symbol for going here when you're here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that makes sense. Don't worry about that, Rand. And then she comments like international phone numbers. I don't have to put plus one in if I'm Uh, calling someone in the U.S. Because we're in the U.S. That's right. Rand mentioned Celine. And this triggers a, a comment from Varen. Yeah, I would really like to meet that young lady because she knows things that people don't know anymore about these stones. And particularly, mm-hmm. Celine had referenced a book and Rand has referenced the book she talked about, The Mirrors of the Wheel. And Varen's aware of that book. But, but she's also, aware that it supposedly didn't yeah, survive the breaking of the world. There aren't any copies around. How could she have read this book? So I there like, must be a copy somewhere is what she's assuming now. I piece these things together and go... Varen's more or less saying she read notes that somebody once took on this book, and that's how she knows about these stones, but she didn't have access to the actual book. So it's like second or third hand knowledge that she did have access to. So she knows some things, but not a whole lot. Regardless, Varen does share, here's what I do know about portal stones. And she's trying to jog Rand's memory. As understood by Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends, the stones have the ability to transport the user to the same stone in other parallel worlds, uh, what they call worlds that might be. Worlds of if. Yes, but also to other stones in other worlds. And they could be used, like traveling, with a capital T, to go from one stone to another in in the the same same world. world. Right. But just as no one remembers the trick of traveling, no one remembers how to travel using portal stones. They just know it can be done. Basically, all the things that would make just travel time get cut down in this series, nobody remembers them. Well, and that's one of the the problems with some old texts and, and scholarly research you do. When you're reading about something that people are writing about, and they're writing about it to people who already know all about it, they assume you already know the basics. Oh, yeah. So, you so they never like, spell out the basics. You can mention it, but you don't like talk about how you do each step. I don't talk about how to do basic arithmetic when I'm talking about quantum physics. Right. You talk about quantum physics a lot? Uh, No, but I did a little. That's more than I have. (laughs) I've gotten a little further in the math and science stuff than you have. Ah, that's true. I don't like the math and science stuff. Calculus was strangely okay. Like, it was weirdly better, in my opinion, than most of the math before it. (laughs) Well, nothing Varen has shared is helping Rand understand what to do. Not a bit. Varen finally shares that, okay, I do know the symbol for the portal stone on Toman Head, where we need to go. And I've actually physically visited that portal stone. Although visiting didn't teach me anything more about the stones. But well, I did go there. I well, did the travel. What, what's it really matter <laughs> But so what? She, if we go to the right confirm, one, you're going to confirm we got to the uh, right one? Perhaps. And she it helps confirm that this here, I'm pointing right at this stone. This is the symbol for Toman Head. Okay, I can confirm that. She also shares another series of symbols, which she knows are symbols for other worlds. But she can't be sure which would be good ones to use. Some worlds have time traveling differently. This is a conundrum and a potential problem. Yes. If they go to a world where time actually goes the wrong speed. So I did something weird (laughs) in a D&D campaign where I was there in this pocket dimension thing. 
And every time they went through a door, time was going to move differently. And it was either going to move like up to 20 times faster or 20 times slower. And so they were constantly trying to figure out and mess with, okay, we got to make sure that only like a couple hours goes by in the real world, not 500 years. Mm-hmm. And that's a conundrum that they're seeing even within worlds that are supposedly safe. And there's plenty of these that may not be safe. Yeah, if they get to a world like the one where Rand and Loyal and Huron already were. That's great. That'd be a win because they could travel the distance much faster but than otherwise. if they get to one where there's no oxygen in the atmosphere or there is no atmosphere, they're dead. Yeah, there's all sorts of possibilities. So, hmm, what do we do? And basically she asks Rand... So, are you a gambler? Because what you're going to have to do is guess which one of these to take us to. (laughs) Great! Rand is like, this is nuts! This is insane! I could kill everybody because you just want me to take a guess. But Varen says, and she has some logic here, Mm -hmm. she says, you are the dragon reborn. So, you can die, but I don't believe... That you'll that die now. The pattern is going to allow you to die now doing this. Because the pattern is not done with you. The wheel is not done with you. So whatever guess you take is going to work out in some way. Now, at least, at least that you for him. Die. You know? <laughs> the rest of us might all die. But, you know, you'll live kind of maybe. And as he continues to hesitate, she, she, oh, she takes a cheap shot. She's like, you know, are you willing to do nothing and let your friend Matt just die? Because if he doesn't get the dagger, yeah, that's cold. Thanks, Baron. That's cold. Thanks. So what we have is Rand staring at the symbols, making a decision on completely random and likely pointless grounds. He practically wants to laugh. He's gambling everybody's lives on just this wild guess. Varen calls everyone over to close the circle, get nice and close to us all. And then Varen makes this show of preparing to use the portal stone and places both her hands on it. And, and Rand sees her watching out of the corner of her eye. It's like, okay, come on, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> so Rand channels into the symbol he has selected. And as the book says, the world flickered. Now, what happens is what Wheel of Time fans have come to call the flicker flicker scene. It's a fun little name. Yeah. And basically, Rand doesn't know what he's doing. Not at all. And whatever he tried to do, it's not quite what he should have done. Not at all. In the midst of the next few things that everyone experiences, Varen shouts out, and it, it in the book, it's in broken chunks. I'm going to just put the sentences together. She says, something is happening. Something is not right. Something is wrong. Okay. No shit, Varen. <laughs> <laughs> but she can't do a thing about it. They are all sucked into whatever Rand has done. From Rand's perspective, and understand everyone is going to have a similar experience. Their own version of something. But here's what Rand goes through. He experiences alternate life possibilities. And literally lives out what could have been. If he'd made a different decision. If something had changed. And it's mind-boggling when you think about this. He experiences full lives. Okay, so here's the first one. We're just going to join Rand on his journey. Flicker! Rand is back on the farm with Tam. Mm -hmm. The night of the Trolloc attack. Rather than running out of the room when Tam told him to run, Rand pulls his belt knife and goes to help his father. And he gets stabbed. Yep. 
stabbed with a sword, run through, and he hears a voice whisper in his head, I have won again, Luce Theron. Good job, Rand. You died. Flicker. Rand lives in the two rivers, happily married to Egwene. Life is... That's new. <laughs> Life has gone on outside the two rivers, and news reaches them. Things like wars and false dragons, but nothing really changes for them. They hear of Arthur Hawkwing's armies returning, mm-hmm. breaking the old nations and conquering the White Tower, mm-hmm. so that Aes Sedai are no more. And apparently nobody still cares about Emmonsfield. Yeah, doesn't make any difference to them. Over the years, Rand struggles with dark moods and depression and a wasting illness. Mm-hmm. But Egwene helps him through these things, partly by using the skills she learned from Nynaeve and becoming Emmonsfield's wisdom. But after many years, Egwene passes away, and Rand's illness then grows worse, and his moods blacken, and he rages at times about how things are not as they were meant to be. And then finally, a time comes when the Trollocs and Fades burst out of the blight in numbers beyond anything that's ever been known in history. Mm -hmm. And the new masters of the world are overwhelmed, and the evil marches everywhere and finally to the two rivers. Rand, he answers the call to defend their land along with pretty much everyone else, even the women, even a lady with a frying pan, probably. Probably. And they meet this horde at the Terran, and Rand dies dies. again and hears again. I I have have won won again, again, Luce Theron. And we get another flicker. Flicker. Rand was inconsolable when Egwene died just a week before their wedding. So Rand's not dead yet, but uh, Egwene is. Both Tam and Nynaeve, they tried to console him at her death, but there were no answers. Nynaeve couldn't explain at all why Egwene had suddenly just died screaming. All Rand knew was that he couldn't stay. He had to get away. So Tam, he gives him a heron-marked sword that he had somewhere, mm-hmm. and he teaches him how to use it. Oh, that would have been nice. And he gives him no explanation of where it came from, how I know how to use it even. But once Rand is competent... Tam gives him a letter that may get him into the army of Ilion and encourages him, return to me someday. Well, unfortunately, Rand has his money and his letter stolen in Barillon. He almost has the sword stolen, but no, he managed to he hang on to that, that one. He meets a woman there. Yes. Min. We've met this woman. And she tells him crazy things about his future. So outrageous that he leaves Barillon to get away from her and eventually ends up in Camelin. But he's still good with that sword. He's still got it. So the skill lands him with the Queen's Guard. Yeah. He rises high amongst those ranks and eventually finds himself guarding the daughter heir, Elaine. And he's troubled by odd thoughts of how things were supposed to be, perhaps between him and her. But nothing comes of that. Rand does develop a dark reputation serving in the guards. He's a man of violent moods. Some people would even say he's mad. And indeed, he is mad. But in light of the times, no one cares, as he seems to be excessively lucky in battle. And why is he lucky in battle, Zach? I don't know. Maybe just because he figured out something about himself in the midst of battle at one moment. Yes, he can channel. Which is ridiculous. We're in a world with false dragons popping up like weeds. It's a very dangerous place, but Rand always seems to come out on top because... He uses his channeling abilities to tip the scales in his Nothing direction. Nothing crazy, no giant fireballs or anything, but enough that a sword that should have hit him gets slightly pushed out of the way, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. someone fails to dodge one of his swipes. Yeah. Just, just enough. Eventually, Rand develops a wasting disease, 
but he doesn't care. Nobody cares. Because at that time, word comes out that Arthur Hawkwing's armies have returned to reclaim the land. Great timing. Rand leads a thousand men to face this foe, and they, they march out over the misty mountain, the mountains of mist, yeah, not, the, not misty the misty mountains, mountains. Wrong, wrong series, uh, the mountains of mist, and then he leads the shattered remnants back over the mountains of mist because they get their tails handed to him. And they march all the way back to Camelin, fighting the rear guard. They're, they're basically being chased all the way. When they get to Camelin, the queen, now Elaine, she's vowing not to leave Camelin, not to abandon her people and her city, even though most of the people are getting out of Dodge. And Rand, he will not abandon the queen. And neither will most of the Queen's Guard that's left. Correct. So they have a final stand, the battle for Camelin. And during that, Rand takes the power, the one power, and he channels it like never before. He's flinging lightning and fire at the enemy, but they're doing the same they're thing. They're flinging lightning and fire back. And eventually, the wall he's standing on gets blown out from under him. He falls, dies, broken and bleeding, and hears a voice whisper. I have one again, Luz Theron. Flicker. And the text goes on to note Rand experiencing hundreds of lives. Lots of different variations and varieties. More than you could possibly count. But again, he's living all of these lives. So we're talking years of his experiences mm -hmm. that feel completely real to him. And in all of these, he dies. Whether Sometimes battle, he dies in battle, yeah. Maybe he's executed <laughs> for Sometimes. a crime or for being a false dragon. He just lives a nice, long, full, and healthy, happy life. Dies an old man in bed. Never even knows he can channel sometimes. Other times, he proclaims himself the dragon reborn, and then it all goes south eventually. But either way, no matter what he does, he always dies, and he always hears that voice. I have won again, Luz Theron. And finally, Rand's contact with Sidene ends, and he falls to the ground half numb. Now you just picture you have lived hundreds, thousands of lives, and in your brain now is the memories of all of these. Yes and no. So like, I hear ya, I see ya. The human brain is not made to be able to contain that much. It's and probably going to quickly dribble each, away. In each of those moments, in those nice. life moments that he lives through he's not remembering the other ones while he's experiencing each one as far as we're aware he gets little senses of it's not how it's supposed to be but he's not remembering each and every one so it's more real than if he just dreamed but he can't clearly remember everything but it leaves him feeling very overwhelmed and very screwed up you know there's a blah yeah and Looking around, everybody's in a similar state. Yeah, people are on the ground, they're struggling, he hears somebody throwing up, people have this wide-eyed, shocked look on their faces. Varen is even there, trying to get up onto her hands and knees. I mean, they've all been totally messed up. And Rand asks, what? What happened? And Varen notes it was a surge of the One Power, that Rand must learn to control it. He had so much power pour through him and into that portal stone that it just, it went completely like this. And she says, using that much power could burn you to a cinder. I'm sorry, Varen. You didn't tell him what he was supposed to do. You just told him to channel into the thing. And I'm not exactly trained. When Rand speaks of all the different lives he lived, Varen shares that they were each seeing truly what could have been had different choices been made. 
And as there are an infinite number of choices that could be made at different times in your lives, so there are an infinite number of ways things could have turned out. Wheel of Time multiverse confirmed. Yes. Rand is impacted by what he's gone through. And probably one of the things that's sticking in his head the most is that whisper he'd hear at the end of each life. I have won again, Luz Theron. Who's Luz Theron? You know, I mean, he knows who Luz Theron is, but why does he keep hearing this voice? And uh, that's got to be troubling to him, especially when he's trying to deny that he's the Dragon Reborn. (laughs) But everybody else has had all these other things they've experienced, too. We don't get into it a lot, but there are certain reactions from certain people Mm -hmm. where clearly they're, they're feeling troubled by what they saw. Varen then gets practical. Pragmatic. Yes. And says, okay, the important thing is we're here. This is Toman Head. This is where we meant to be. However, look around. By the look of the trees, we can see it's autumn now, not spring. We've lost easily four months on this trip. Then Varen goes around and tries to calm people. And as needed, she uses the one power for some sort of healing, ease their stress, their anxiety. But there's trauma on people all over the place. Once Varen has done what she can, they all get on their horses again. Varen announces loudly that they are on Toman Head. He's already said it to Rand, but now to everybody. That's good. But the larger towns are to the west. And if the Dark Friends are here, that's where they will be found. So let's be off. And as they go, Rand hopes to still find Fane. Because, you know, what if Fane had given up? If it's been months now... Is Fane assuming that he's not coming and he'll follow up on his previous threat? This wasn't mentioned in this episode, but that he's going to go wreak havoc on the two mm-hmm. rivers and kill everyone that Rand cares about. And even if he hasn't given up with that, that months of time, that was what they were concerned about. What if he found a way to open that box and found yes. the stuff inside of it? What if they're just too late? What if it's all moot now? Absolutely. So with that worry, off we go. That's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. That's the end of our content this time. Is there anything in particular you'd want to comment on or highlight from what we covered today? I really, really, really wish that even if it was just like a little like addendum here and there or something, a little short novella, we got to see a lot of those other lives. A lot of the other, not other lives for Rand necessarily, but a similar experience for each of the people who went through. Because I think it it gives us a lot of little things, especially as we read further in the series, Mm -hmm. that give us an understanding about Rand and the way his life is does go or doesn't go or how it could have gone. I would have loved to see that for all the other characters as well. Yep. I mean, they are. It's a 15-book series already, but (laughs) we could have written a whole little short stories about all the others. A little five, six-chapter thing with some of the mainer characters that we know of there indeed discord is asking a nice question here something to to ponder about he heard rand in the portal stone experiences he kept hearing that voice at the end is he really hearing balsamon every time or is this just something in rand's head well, that's where we'll we'll end the content here of course after uh, our final notes here we will move into the spoiler room And we'll each spoil something, full spoil something from this episode. But before we do that, again, we want to thank everyone for joining us for these three chapters. And ask that you, you know, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, spread the joy. Share about our Mm -hmm. podcast. And wherever you listen to it, if you can go on and give us a rating, throw some stars at us, write a review. I mean, stars are easy. 
just click. Mm-hmm. We you just like wind up yeah. and aim. You can even make fun game out of it. See if you can land on our picture. Yeah. I mentioned all these downloads that we do have that, already. Funny. And yet we only have five ratings so far. Now they're all fives, well, which I'll is great. That. But, you know, please, people, help us out. And Tell us what you Give think. us a little more. Give us a little more love. And if you want to talk to us a little more directly, there are a number of ways to contact us, be it our email, fantasyfortheages.gmail.com. Or get in our Discord server, uh, like Jordo has been with us here throughout the episode mm-hmm. today. That's on Discord, where people can, if you are a patron of our podcast, you can join us for the live recordings. But even without being a patron, you can interact with us directly on all sorts of fantasy fiction content on our Discord server. So I'll have a invite link in the show notes, so you can get on there. You can come see how we uh, interact and chat on Twitter. Uh, occasionally, yeah, hang out on Facebook, but... Not very much. More like jump in, jump out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a scary place. (laughs) And if you want to see any of our various drink recipes that we mention, you can check those out on our Instagram page. And again, if you want to know more information about how to support us as a patron on Patreon, there will be a a link to our Patreon page there too. We're not in this for the money, but anybody who does support us as a patron, that little bit helps offset the costs of our equipment and uh, our hosting fees and things that you know, are there. So if you want to help like that, we sure do appreciate it. We appreciate any and all of your continued support. All right. If you're not sticking around for the spoiler room, time to go. See you next time. Bye. But if you are, welcome to the The spoiler room. All right. So let's spoil something. Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, he crushed me right away the first time this time. So... The voice. Yes. My spoiler spoil this time is actually going to be more multiple theories rather than a direct spoil. We hear the voice. I have one again, lose there, and time and time again, whatever. There are a couple different things that this can be coming from. One theory that I've seen and kind of enjoyed is that part of why this gets messed up is because it is actually Baalzaman stepping in and he like actively did something to mess with the stone or what Rand was doing. And so, yes, he's there and impacting and that's why he's able to be talking. Um, A different possibility, and I do think in both of these first two, it is actually him. The second here is we follow the line of thinking that led him to the dark as well, which is an inevitability. This idea that time and time again, we fought this battle countless times in every turning of the wheel. And so every time, every turning of the wheel at the end, he's still standing there. And it's not necessarily he's physically there, but it's almost like those two souls are inevitably entwined. So when one goes out, the other's there to say that every time. Now, the final thing of this is my personal thought and hope. And that's that even if it is Belzman's voice that we're hearing, that Rand's hearing, it's not him speaking. It's the dark one. To me, this moment, while having over and over the these So you don't flashes, think it's Belzman's voice, it's the dark one. I think it's the dark one using Belzman's voice. Ah. Belzman's the one speak... Belzman is the voice. But he's not the one really sending these words. Not really. And the reasoning that I kind of go to think this is that in a way, this isn't really part of the pattern. They're experiencing this and all the possibilities of the pattern, but portal stones in and of themselves kind of exist out of pattern. And to have something really be able to interact with that, it needs to itself be outside the pattern. 
And so in a very let the Lord of Chaos rule kind of sense, the Dark One is putting these seeds and these pieces in with the intent to drive Belzmon and Rand towards a further confrontation. But this also then goes to But he my... never calls him Rand. I know. If he called him Rand, it's targeted at him. If he calls him Luz Theron, it has the sense that it's coming from Belzmon. This also kind of ties into me thinking that the creator and the Dark One are the same, though, because it drives a need for that confrontation, for the balance of good to evil being a necessary thing. And just because the Dark One is evil doesn't mean that the necessity that is being driven in the story is actually bad. A little bit of a weird angle thing there. The last possibility I'm going to throw out, this is a lengthy... <laughs> and you're making my brain room. hurt. <laughs> I'm sorry. The last possibility that I'm going to throw out here is one where it is nobody other's voice technically... It's Rand, kind of. This is possibly one of the first times we technically actually hear the influence of Luz Theron, or rather Rand's madness. He's sucking so much power and getting so much taint in that moment that the madness is coming through and manifesting as a voice that he hears as Baalzaman's taunting. Kind of this last moment of Luz Theron's life being told that I won, I won again, and that's manifesting through to Rand. Okay. None of those are going to be confirmed in any way. So it's not really a spoiler. It's just everything that I said has spoiler possibilities. Okay. It's spoiler theory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get to throw in my random crazy theories in the spoiler room too, because I can't, re I shouldn't really do those gotcha. in every place. Well, I'm going to spoil. Instead, I'm going to talk about Matt. Okay. I love that comment that was so, I mean, it was clear foreshadowing when he's, you know, talking about how things really should be with women, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, Matt, come on, because he's going to go ahead and end up married. Uh, before married, we get the whole deal with Tylen. Yeah. He becomes the boy toy, the pretty and he has no control over the situation at all, which is apparently his biggest nightmare because he's the one that does the chasing. He's the, the man is the one who does these things. Yeah, you have no blooming idea. So he ends up in a culture in Abu Dhar where, no, the women run all this. That is the way it works. What? But then he goes on to have his whole experience with Tuan and ends up married to her because of things he says. So I guess he kind of did it, but, but he, he has no control over it now because to? that's not what he meant to do, but it doesn't mean what he meant to do. This is what is now done. And <laughs> yeah, he, he has no control. It's still uh, the women deciding for him. His relationships are messy at best, but not often the way that he envisioned them being. I mean... All three of the boys are going to have some very interesting relationships. Mm -hmm. and One uh, where communication is terrible. One where it's actually a polyamorous kind of deal that none of them actually get married. And one that is just multiple weird things that happen. But in all three cases, who they end up with is really decided by the women. Yeah. The boys are just well, doing what they do. And the women are the ones that make the real decisions. While I will agree... I'll give Perrin a little bit of cred. Just a little. Because if Perrin wasn't choosing, Barrelane was really trying to step in there. Well, yeah, Perrin was into and Fael, was it's true. And plenty of time where Fael was um, captured and gone. But remember, early on, Perrin wanted nothing to do with Fael. And, and definitely wanted her to go away. 
but that she's the one that no, I, very, I like this. That changed very quickly. Yeah. yeah. Very and by quickly. the end of Dragon Reborn. Yeah, for sure. When it changes in the matter of like four or five chapters, it, it, that's still but kind of first she's impression. She's still the one running most of what happens in that relationship. Oh, yeah. As will be the case for Rand as he ends up, you know, feeling like a dirty old man for being in love with three women. And they work things out amongst themselves and tell him how it is. And they do that individually, but then they do that collectively and he's at their mercy. He really has no control or decision on this. He also never marries any of them. The closest that you come is maybe Avienda. Because their marriage ceremony customs are a little different. <laughs> he never laid a bridal wreath. She never laid a bridal wreath. Yes, she did. Oh, she does. Before, But did he pick it up? Before they lay with each other and uh, she gets pregnant at the end. Oh, man. Lots of spoilers rusty. in the spoiler rusty. room. Woo! <laughs> but again, for Matt to be the one that so strongly speaks about how this doesn't happen to us. I like to the think of it as a moment of things. Matt, but just being in denial. Everyone it's else great. knows that he's wrong. So Matt's got it coming. He has got it coming. He had time. it coming. Uh-huh. All right. So that was fun. It's always fun to let loose and just talk about what do we think? What is really going on? And what do we know is going to come? And so if you stuck around for the spoiler room, hope you enjoyed a, a little deep dive into some of that relationship chaos that we know is coming. Jordo, thanks for being with us here in the Discord server and all the things that you uh, threw in here as well that definitely impacted some of the things we talked about. Mm-hmm. Love that you had the time to be with us today. Anything else, Zach? No, I got nothing. All right. Well, yeah, after all you just put out there, <laughs> again, my brain is... Uh, it, <laughs> good stuff. If good at stuff. some point anyone who <laughs> sticks around and listens wants to chat more in our uh, full spoiler area on discord uh, i'll hop in at times and chit chat further on my ridiculous theories that are probably wrong there you go thanks everyone we will talk to you next time <laughs>